When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the post game Buckeye Talk. Douglas Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Meads, Ohio State, a victor over Penn State, 33 24. It's late. I don't know if this happens to you guys. I went through a McDonald's drive through, not the one right by the stadium after the game, but I went up to the next exit and I was like, oh, this one doesn't look too bad. So I got in the drive through line and then it didn't take long to realize that it was very slow, but then I was trapped, right? I was trapped. I was like, I had the people before me and behind me. And then I was between the two curbs and then you're in drive through limbo and there's nothing you can do. So it's almost two o'clock in the morning because I was stuck in McDonald's drive through limbo forever. So I apologize for that. Nathan, we did a lot of talking in the, on the pregame show on Friday about, well, we think this is it might be the game goes like this, it goes like this, but it's possible the Ohio State offense is so good that nothing else matters. Stuff mattered, right? That it, it wasn't like the Ohio State offense wiped everything off the board. There was actual football that mattered in this Ohio State win. Yeah, and I, I thought maybe the most crucial thing here, you know, I've, I've said all along that I think the thing that makes – the kryptonite to Ohio State's Superman tendencies is not a defense that's going to come out and shut it down because I don't think that defense exists. Maybe in Athens, Georgia, that's maybe the one place where a defense will come out and just stop this offense. I've always said that I think it's going to be the bigger peril is the offense that Ohio State can't get off the field or that it stays out there enough, moves the chains enough that it limits Ohio State's opportunities. And, you know, Penn State tonight going 11 of 18 on third down, Penn State um, being able to move the ball pretty consistently underneath. I I thought, you know, Ryan Day is right. The defense won this game because the defense came through with some really huge plays. I think it's also true that this game probably showed still where this defense needs to grow in order for Ohio State to finish off the trajectory it's been on. Steven, do you come away from this game feeling better about Ohio State? Let's just say make the playoff. Better about Ohio State's chances to make the playoff? Worse about Ohio State's chances to make the playoff or the same? 
better. And it's because I don't know who's going to do this to this offense again, because a lot of it was more about what Ohio State was and wasn't doing more than it was about Penn State, even though they did do some things. But also, Penn State's a pretty good team, and Sean Clifford's a pretty decent quarterback. And this defense held up and, quite frankly, kept things in check and in order long enough for this offense to find itself. So the defense scoring was a big freaking deal, right? I mean, to get to force the Sean Clifford fumble on the the sack by Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, meet up the quarterback, sack the quarterback, force the fumble, and then Cage picks it up and is a big tomato running down the field, scoring that touchdown, whatever, 57 yards or whatever it was. What do we think of the uniforms, by the way? Steven, what was the official verdict on – was all that scarlet cool or not so much? I loved it, but I'm also convinced that they can only wear those jerseys at night. I don't want to see those jerseys during a noon game because it's going to look ugly. You did love it, though. You thought it looked really I did. Good. I did. And I, I love that the rain held out so everybody could keep in theme. Nathan, what was your verdict on this all scarlet unis? Honestly, it. it I, I really didn't notice it that much i mean i knew that it was happening obviously but it didn't really affect how i was viewing the game i will say that the like this whole idea of like scarlet the shoe or whatever like there were just a bunch of people wearing red hater, in Ohio man. stadium like what's, he's such a hater man that's what every game is like it just that part of it that part of it i thought definitely fell flat like unless it's a whiteout where you sort of change the environment in the stadium I don't think red does that. Like asking people to wear red into a stadium where the seats, I think, are already red. Like, I, I don't know. Didn't that, that part of it definitely didn't strike me. But the uniforms, I guess, whatever. The thing, is it possible? I was thinking about this. In the scarlet and gray of Ohio State, what is the more important color? Because I think it might be the gray. Because I think the gray is the more iconic color in some ways because that's mm-mm. the helmet. It's the basis. It's what makes the scarlet pop. It's not. It's a. It's a very underrated. Robin, but a great. Think, just think about everybody in a gray out. That would look disgusting. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about, though. I, I don't. I like the scarlet in the stands. Is fa- is fine. But I like the gray. I like the all gray unis better than I like the all scarlet unis. And I do think even if the gray is an accent color to a lot of scarlet, I almost feel like while accenting the scarlet, the gray is actually more important that lots of teams are red, but like the gray is really what sets Ohio State apart. And so to be that scarlet, I just thought was a little not quite who they are. I, All right. I don't, know if the, I don't know if the gray is more important, but the lack of gray diminishes the scarlet. That might be. I'll say won a game by nine points that they were favored to win by 19 oh, and a half points. And we're discussing the uniforms no, listen, because I, I it's who I am. I, I, I'm a very interesting podcaster. I got it. We're good. Um, <laughs> the idea that Ryan Day said the defense won the game is a little... It's not, there's a lot about this game that it's true and it's false at the same time. Just like we were talking as we were walking to the car, Sean Clifford is that kind of quarterback for Penn State. He's good and he's bad at the same time. He makes some throws where it's like, like even he's trying to make a play down the field, 
and Tyreek Smith is coming at him and affects the throw and it gets picked by Cam Brown. And that's like, why did he try that? Well, he's trying to make a play. Like he's a very, this game was a lot like that, that I know what, what Ryan day is saying, Nathan, that the pressure that they got on Sean Clifford, the sack that turns into points, scoop and score that, that pressure by Tyreek Smith, that leads to another pick. They really did get after him. And I thought the pressure defensively really mattered. And if you don't get that kind of pressure on the quarterback, you don't get the sacks. You don't get those moments. Four sacks for 22 yards. Ohio State could have lost. But there was also a lot of soft coverage in the middle of the field. There were some guys open a lot throwing the ball. Penn State can't run. They're terrible. Sean Clifford's their best runner. Their running backs are not good. That's been true all season. But it wasn't like down to down, Nathan, like a spectacular defensive effort for Ohio State. They made big plays defensively when they needed to. But it also felt like they were vulnerable in some ways that weren't great. Yeah, it, it was a game that was one drive away from us looking at it very differently. Like if instead of Sean Clifford getting pressure, by the way, there were also five quarterback hurries in addition to those four sacks. I mean, they they got pressure and it was coming from the ends. Like we've talked a lot about this season, about the guys on the interior being the ones who, who brought the pressure. But tonight, I thought Tyreek Smith was really great. I thought uh, Zach Harrison was was an impact, was really good. And those guys were sort of converging on Clifford repeatedly. So the, the, the pressure was real, and they obviously made some plays at the back end. But, if, but if, if they don't make that play at the back end, if the pressure doesn't lead to the Cam Brown interception, and those were hand-in-hand, hand, and if Penn State instead drives down and scores a touchdown, then we're talking about this game very differently. So, I mean, is, is one drive really the difference between being a great performance and a not-great performance? And the thing that, that, that lingers for me is what you just said. This is a Penn State team that cannot run the ball. I can give, I'll give Ohio State credit for contributing to that, but Penn State hasn't been able to run the ball really all season. And so it's if it's not a one-dimensional offense, it's close to it, and you still, again, like as you said, gave up a lot of yardage underneath your coverage. I asked Ronnie Hickman about that after the game, and I was you know, asked, like, well, how much of that is what you're giving them as part of the game plan, and how much of it is stuff you have to get better? And he, I can't remember the exact answer verbatim, but it was, uh, Stephen, you were there, and he definitely seemed to hint that, this is something that's got to get fixed. This what we didn't expect them to maybe be able to move the ball that well. So and I said, I think during the game to you, Stephen, or maybe it was all three of us that like, I'm watching this and I'm thinking if Penn State can do this, I'm pretty sure Cincinnati can do this. I know Alabama can do this. I'm thinking that there's there are several offenses that can move the ball this well or better against Ohio State. There are many offenses out there that are more complete than Penn State. So it's something that it, it both finding a way to win this game both shows still their improvement from September 11th and also shows how far I think they still have to go. Like I said, to kind of finish off this recovery that's been in underway. So let me ask a question real quick, because the, the idea of them moving the ball, that's kind of been the Ryan day philosophy since he's taken over, taken over is we want a defense where you're going to move the ball on us, but you have to drive on this. And we we think that you won't finish off a drive with a touchdown. That's been his whole philosophy. So I'm not necessarily worried about teams being able to move the ball and have some drives. The only thing I am worried about is their ability to get a team to third down and then not get off the field. That's where more of the issue is than just, okay, a team what got is, some yards to make the drive. 
I mean, you can put a drive. No, but you can put a drive together and first down, you get another first down or you get the second down and then you get a first and then you get another first down just because you, you know, there's ways to get drives without ever seeing a third down. Their problem is they get positive if they were giving up more first and second down conversions than ever getting. I mean, that's what I'm saying is it's the same thing. It's both a drive, but one of them, you had an opportunity to get off the field. The other one, they just had a second and seven and then they just converted it. That's two different ways of of football. And that's two different types of contexts. What I'm saying is if you get a team in third and nine, you need to get off the field. If it's second and nine and they just convert a, fir- a first down because they had a good play, that's not the same thing. Because no one's going to pop an attitude for a team, you know, having a second down and then they get a first down. But you are going to be upset if it's third and nine and you're clearly supposed to get off the field and you don't get that job that done, especially when teams start racking those up. That's when the big plays come. So the, but the issue was they were three for three scoring touchdowns in the red zone which was like, all right, well, like, let them drive down, but then stop in the red zone. They didn't, they didn't do that. Ohio State got stopped in the red zone, one touchdown and six trips. They didn't give up the big plays. So, But let me ask you this. So Penn State takes over with 7-12 to play and trailing by, uh, by less than a touchdown, right? It's like, all right, well, if, if, if it's 20 – so it's Ohio State 30, Penn State 24 – Penn State first and 10 at the 25 with 7-12 left. Penn State has a chance to drive to take the lead. What was your level of confidence? Like, did you think that Penn State had a decent chance at that point, Nathan, of like driving down for the go-ahead touchdown the way the game had unfolded at that point? Um, Certainly some chance, yeah. But I also thought that was an eternity of time left if that's going to happen. Like, I... I, I, you know what I mean? Like you don't need to give Ohio state that much time to be able to drive down yeah. and get a field goal. So I, I thought at that stage, it was still in Ohio state's control. Um, but it still obviously seemed like uh, on the defense to step up and, and make a play. And they did. Well, they really did. I mean, th- so, but the thing that's weird is. Oh, you're talking I, about because they did punt it back. You're right. You're right. Well, no, but I'm talking about that Penn State takes over with 7-12 left. They throw a quick little pass to Deshaun Dotson for a gain of five. And then for some inexplicable reason, with the game on the line, they need a touchdown to go ahead. They have the ball second and five. Penn State just runs into the middle mm-hmm. of the line yeah. again. Yeah. I remember that. Again, yeah. they, they literally averaged one yard per carry. They run for zero, yeah. and then the third down play is the touchdown pass to the guy who ran five yards out of the bounds before he caught it, so it never had a chance of counting. But that's lost a down, so then they have to punt. Like, that's it. It's not even like, oh, we got a 10-yard penalty, now we have third and long. Like, that was their drive. Good little throw to Dotson. Meaningless run that had no chance of working because none of their runs worked. And then their receiver ran out of bounds and came back in. And that was their drive with the game on the line. So I don't think Ohio State, like, stopped them. Like, Penn State just called, like, two horrible plays after they got five yards on first down. It wasn't, like, some great, you know, no, extraordinary I, defensive I, effort. So I, I, um, I got my chronology mixed up. I forgot that that happened before the interception. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like there wasn't – like, I thought, Stephen, they gave up stuff in the middle of the field. Like, I know what you're saying. You don't want to let guys throw stuff over your head. You don't want to let big runs pop like the C.J. Verdell 70-yard run against Oregon. I understand that. But it still felt easy at times for Penn State to find Parker Washington open for a 16-yard gain in the middle of a soft zone. That felt a little 
even though Clifford, I agree with I, that. I, I know people think Clifford stinks. Like uh, compared to other Big Ten quarterbacks, he doesn't stink. He can make some plays. He could also make some bad plays, but he threw some balls in the middle of the field. And Parker Washington showed. I think he's a pretty good number two receiver. Dotson is Dotson, right? It felt a little soft at times. No, I, I'll agree with that. It's what they want to do goes hand in hand. You get pressure with the defensive line, but also. You know, defensive backs have to press. They can't be playing off coverage all the time. But also the the linebackers have to make things a little bit more difficult across the middle. They didn't really do that. There are a lot of situations where it's easy across the middle because, I mean, we the way we talk about how Ohio State's wide receivers are five, six yards open down the field, the middle was just open by like six, seven yards a lot of the time with nobody around them. And it seemed like somebody was out of position. Somebody didn't do their job correctly in that back seven. So I'll agree with that. Yes, you want to give up stuff and keep stuff in front of you, but it shouldn't be, you know, drops in the bucket where Sean Clifford, he threw 52 passes and I completed 35 of them. A lot of them, there weren't really hard throws. It was just kind of drop it right there where it seems like a linebacker should be there and they're not there. Uh, running backs for Penn State, 21 carries, 42 yards. So two yards per carry for the Ohio State, or excuse me, for the Penn State tailbacks. That's just, that's just really bad. Um, it is interesting, and, but the part of this, and, and I want to get to the Ohio State offense here in a bit, but we're starting off with sort of the, what the Penn State offense did against the Ohio State defense. The hard part of this, Nathan, is that I don't know that Penn State or Michigan or Wisconsin, by the way, it's going to be Wisconsin, the Big Ten title game. Wisconsin drubbed Iowa on Saturday. It looks like it's going to come down to Wisconsin-Minnesota last game of the regular season. Probably the winner of that will win the West, but Wisconsin looks like it's getting it together a little bit, especially defensively. But I don't know that anybody else on the regular season schedule, Big Ten championship game included, will throw it as effectively as Penn State threw it on Saturday. Not because Sean Clifford's all world, but because I do think Jahan Dotson is legitimately really good and a receiver that a defense has to plan around. And Parker Washington then uh, took the opportunity and had a really big game. Parker Washington, nine catches on 10 targets for 108. Jahan Dotson, who was barely targeted in the first half, they really force-fed him in the second half. 16 targets, 11 catches, 127. I don't know that anyone's going to throw it as well as Penn State did, Nathan, but like everybody's going to run it better. Michigan State's going to run it better. Michigan's going to run it better. Wisconsin's going to run it better, but they're not going to. So tonight they faced a team that could throw but can't run. I think they have some teams ahead of them that can run but maybe can't throw. So like how is this defense going to get tested? And I'll be – I don't – you know, again, they kind of gave up some yards in the passing game. I don't know how they'll do against a run game, against a really good run game, against a Heisman candidate in Kenneth Walker the third, or two backs like Michigan has, or, you know, Wisconsin being Wisconsin. I don't exactly know how that's going to go, but they're, they don't have a complete offense on the schedule before, before the postseason, right, Nathan? They don't, uh, but I think both Michigan State and Michigan today – there's a little bit of wrinkle there on both sides of the ball, certainly more of a wrinkle than what Penn state showed running the ball today. Right. So I think it's, it's, if the vulnerability for Ohio state is still there in the run game, then it's how those things play off of each other. I, I just, that's what to, to me, if I was an Ohio state fan watching this today, the most concerning thing would be that you don't have to respect Penn state's running game. 
they followed up by then not doing anything with that in this game. And yet there's still enough holes, enough, um, enough soft coverage, whatever that they were able to pick apart. And just, I understand again, the point that Steven was trying to make, but I also think that that is, this is, we're gonna have to go back and look at the rewatch things to get, I think a better example. We'll talk about this on you and I, Doug, I'm sure on, on madness on Monday morning, but it, it just it, it doesn't feel it, it felt both like they were disruptive and they were threatening being Ohio State's defense, but then also that they were um, they were letting some of this they were they were making it too easy, and I I, I just I'm, I'm I see too many potential teams out there. If you start thinking about Ohio State in terms of like competing for a national championship, a lot of offenses out there are better, more complete than Penn State is. I'm also just trying to find some middle ground because, yeah, there was a little too easy sometimes. But also, he had 361 yards and only one touchdown, and he threw it 52 times. You know, so it's there's you there's got to be some. It can't just be I don't know. We're still not sure. Like that's he had to do. He had to work. Just I mean, we're gonna talk about Travion Henderson in a minute and how hard he had to work to get his yards. Clifford had to work hard for those passing yards. It like real similar to how CJ had to work for his passing yards against Oregon in, in week two. So there is a middle ground of, yes, there were some things that showed improvement, even if it's not perfect yet. 6.9 yards per attempt for Clifford, which is certainly not great. I mean, that's not to your point when he's, yeah, he threw it for 361, but he did have to throw it uh, 52 times to make it happen. Um it's just hard. It's hard to get a read on how good of a quarterback Sean Clifford is. So how to evaluate some of that stuff. There were definitely moments where it's like that looked too easy, but I do think you're right, Stephen, in that there are times when Ohio state is willing to give up some of that stuff because they think eventually we're going to get you. Eventually one of our ends is going to get to you and force a sack. And then you're going to be behind the change chains or eventually one of our DBs is going to make a play and intercept the pass or whatever. And that if, if you, we make you keep firing, um, you're eventually going to make a mistake. I do think that's part of the strategy, but also be better at that strategy. Penn state had the ball down six with seven minutes to play in a position where yeah. it's like, well, they might drive down the field on March 75 mm-hmm. yards for the go ahead score. That is definitely on the table right now. Uh, and then, and then it's like, well, what happens if you, if you face Caleb Williams and it's like, well, there's no Caleb Williams in the big 10. So figure that out in the playoff. I do. Cause it's weird. It's like, 3324 like which number in a, in a win in a win in a win which number is more concerning ohio state scoring 33 or or ohio state giving up 24 it's probably more concerning that this offense only scored 33 especially in a world where seven of those points came from the defense and where they were forced to kick a bunch of field goals in the red zone. But yet I actually am less concerned about the Ohio state offense because I think the Penn state defense is so good and giving up 24 by the Ohio state offense against what I think is a kind of flawed, certainly one dimensional Penn state offense, right? That in general, I think the 33 is worse, but there's a reason for the 33 and it's that Penn state defense. So, so I don't know. Do you guys, you, you guys you kind of know what I'm saying? I, no, I see. I definitely see the point you're making. And I think to me, it comes down to, I think Penn state 
maybe better defensively than Michigan or Michigan State or Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Wisconsin may be the one in there that I'm wrong about. But they may be Penn State may be better defensively than any team Ohio State could play through the Big Ten Championship game. I don't think Penn State's better offensively than certainly not better offensively, I don't think top to bottom than Michigan and Michigan State are right now. So the question right. the question then is I, I, I agree with you, but how many more points does Michigan and Michigan State score tonight? Uh I don't know. I don't know. Is it, maybe, is they it one? Got, maybe they could have gotten to 34 instead of 24. Okay. So if they could have gotten to 34 and we're all going to sit here and say, we're not concerned about the offense because a lot of that is they had 10 penalties because it's off in this offensive line play terrible. Then, you know, it goes back to, does it really matter then with this offense? If we feel like this is never going to happen again, offensively. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. I want to, I want to, we're going to wrap up the Ohio State defensive conversation and slide to the Ohio mm-hmm. State offense conversation. We'll wrap this up right after this on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315. Get our texts during games. People seem to like that. Nathan, what was your what was the last word you wanted to have on that idea? I was going to say something actually more about the offense. So if okay. you want to. Yeah, so let's put a bow on the Ohio State defense. Big plays, good pressure from the ends. Some vulnerabilities in the middle of the field, but at least you didn't give up. Although, Nathan, you did have a stat that, you know, there was a time when Penn State had more big explosive plays than Ohio State did because Ohio State just didn't really have many um, in the beginning of the game. But I think I, I think I might have sent that right before that one where Jackson Smith did Jacob spun off a guy and went for a long gain. So I'll take yeah. I'll take credit for that karmically, I suppose. So well, the game was nine to six. Penn State had more more big plays of 15 yards or more. Okay. But I, but if it was like plays of 50 yards or more then I think Ohio state probably was ahead. Right. Um, yeah, they had two and know. Penn state had Penn state's had uh, one. They had that 70 yarder, but they got nullified because that's when he was out of bounds. So none. Yeah, so that doesn't get. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the Ohio state offense. So, I thought right away early, there were a couple plays. There was like a play where a Penn State defender on the edge, I think they they had 12 personnel in the game. They had Stover and Ruckert in, and like the defender kind of split them and made a play. Mm -hmm. There was a play where Arnold Ebikidi, you know, beat NPF inside with the rush and hit Stroud as he was throwing. There were, there was the play, like the guy, the Penn State guy hit Ruckert like behind the line of scrimmage hard knock Ruckert backward, but Ruckert didn't go down. Then that same guy came back back and stripped the ball from Ruckert as he was fighting for extra yardage. I just thought Nathan, there were like multiple plays by the Penn state defense in the first quarter that were like, well, no one's done that. Or at least no one's done that since Noah Sewell was tearing Ohio state up in the Oregon game that that just stood out. That was like, okay, this is different than what we've seen for the previous five weeks. Very apparent early on. I mean, Penn State had guys at all three levels who could probably start for Ohio State right now. Like, how many teams have they played this year that you could say that about? I think there's two, and one of them beat them, and one of them gave them this game tonight. I thought actually one play that really crystallized this for me was when Trevin Henderson had the near breakaway touchdown, and Jaquan Brisker 
comes from all the way on the other side of the field and catches him. And like, there just aren't that many athletes on Ohio State schedule that can do that. It's, it's Trevion Henderson. I mean, come on. And but Jaquan Brisker is going to play on Sundays, and he can do that. You know, Indiana didn't have somebody who's going to do that. Maryland, Rutgers, Akron, those teams don't have certainly have nobody in their zip code that can do that. So that I thought to me, it, and it just it was a night where if you are a little bit off on offense, the defense because I think then, then what happens? Like he gets caught from behind on that, and then they don't get the end zone there, right? or did did they end up finishing that one with the touchdown? They finished it off. I think they finished it with they, a touchdown. Okay. Yeah, but it's just one of those things where like every time they make it just a little bit harder for you to get in the end zone, it increases the chances that you will get stuffed on fourth down or third down and have to kick that field goal or whatever. You know what I mean? That just happens enough times in a game that it it, it shrinks the margin. So this is pro- this is a good stat. We probably should have talked about this more in the pregame pod. People may have known Ohio State was third in the nation in red zone touchdown conversion rate coming into the game. Ohio State has scored a touchdown on 23 of 29 red zone trips, which was 79.3%, third in the nation, and behind Coastal Carolina and Missouri. So it's basically first in the nation because they're first among teams that matter. But Penn State's defense was also third in the nation Mm. in allowing red zone touchdowns. And that was something that showed up a lot, Stephen. And again, that's a part of it that I think that's that's linebacker play. That's when the field gets compressed and you really you're not getting worried about getting beat over the top. You really can clamp down the coverage and their secondary is so good. It's getting at least some pressure when you need it. And that showed up a lot, Stephen, that if Ohio State had cashed in the red zone stuff, this would have been a very different game. But they didn't because Penn State is so good at that and better than anybody else are going to face the rest of the regular season. They stopped the run so much that even Travion Henderson got antsy and took off and got a false start, which basically ruined the drive. Mitchell, they have to settle for a field goal. And Nathan asked him about that, but yeah, it got to a point where they couldn't run the ball in the red zone. So they abandoned it and started trying to throw passes that weren't there. And it turned into slot fade and goal line fade central and a bunch of, you know, 50, 50 balls. And unlike the last couple of weeks where those 50, 50 balls are more like 80, 20 Ohio state, they were 50, 50 balls and, and Penn state wasn't letting Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave have any of them. I also think though, Doug, we may not have cited that specific stat, but we definitely talked about, many times this week and wrote about, you know, what was coming from Penn state's defense. But I think it's difficult because even if we try to cite stats like that, it's always, but they haven't played anybody like Ohio state yet. Right. The, right. the, the, the tricky thing for with, with Penn state is like they had been on the field with a pretty good sec team in Auburn and come out on top there. They don't have an offense like Ohio state does. It hasn't been as eruptive as Ohio state has, but they, there were, they had been in some talent equated games too. And while they were definitely on a downward slant, especially from an offensive standpoint, I think there maybe we probably sh- that should have given this defense more credence as to why this was legit, whereas maybe Indiana's the week before was not. So here's the thing in the end about the Ohio State offense, though. We had said before the game is their offense so good that it doesn't matter. They were not incredibly explosive the whole game. They clearly were not because it was 17, 10 at halftime and seven of that 17 for Ohio state was a defensive score. And then it was, and then Penn state came out and scored and it was 17, 17, right? So 
it wasn't there all the time, but when they had to have it, it was there. You know, Chris Olave had um, nine targets tonight, only caught three passes, but when they needed something, CJ Stroud was able to buy the time. Olave won deep and they got a 38 yard touchdown out of it. Trevion Henderson had nine carries for six yards in the first half. Incredibly frustrating. He has 19 carries for 146 yards in the second half, including a 68 yard run. As you said, Nathan, they're trying to get some stuff going. They throw a little pass over the middle for Jackson Smith and the Jigma that should be like a gain of eight. And he makes a spin on a dude and makes it a gain of 58. Steven, whenever they had to have it, it's there. And that's the thing that's still like they weren't that explosive. They didn't look like themselves. But when they had it's in their back pocket at all times. And it's not always it's not that they can pull it out whenever they need it, but it's going to fall out a couple times a game. Right. Maybe they're not, not going to control when the big plays are going to happen, but it's always there. And that for the best Ohio State teams, that's always the case. Hey, wow, congratulations to the opponent. They played Ohio State even in a lot of ways. Take away those three 60-yard explosions by the incredibly talented Ohio State skill players, and this is an even game. But that's the whole point. You can't take them away. And I just think, Stephen, even though they struggled at times, I still think you would believe they can rely on that, that it's going to happen eventually. Somebody's going to break one. I know that's like always the case with Ohio State offenses, but I think this one just has the potential to carry a little bit further and not just be in relation to the Big Ten. It, you know, this guy, this might carry into the playoff because of what the talent is around it and just because they actually have a quarterback who can push the ball downfield, which is what they didn't have until Ryan Day showed up here. So that's the difference, and it's all, it's why on a day like this where they only score 33 points, we're having a discussion of, you know, What's more of a alarming thing, the defense giving up 24 or the offense only scoring 33 and you're leaning more on the defense than the offense. That exact thing. It's what happened against Minnesota, too, even when CJ was new. Oh, look, 43 yard pass to Garrett Wilson for a one play drive. It's just how this offense is set up to where even when it's failing, eventually it's going to fail upward. And and also, let's not forget the the a greater frequency from this game of the Ohio state offense to stop itself. That it wasn't always Penn state stopping them. It was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Luke Whipler penalties early on the Trevion Henderson falling forward on his tiptoes and getting the false start, like just little things like that added up. Which I do think, and it's not a coincidence. Those things happen against Penn state. Right. Very true. Yes. They put you in a vice a little bit. It's not coming as easy. Okay. All of a sudden you start pressing a little bit and Luke Whippler rolls the snap and Trevion mm -hmm. Henderson falls forward. And that kind of stuff happens for a reason. And yeah. And I, I, I I said it to you last week in the box and I think I said it on the pod earlier this week that this offense has been playing without any pressure on it. It's been yeah. playing like a very low stakes game because what what they didn't have to go score 54 points to beat Indiana because Indiana wasn't going to do anything. But in a week in a game where you, they had to have it there. Yeah, I think they felt that pressure a little bit, especially early on. So what are we to make then? Stephen, of 28 carries for 152 yards and a touchdown 
for Travion Henderson. 5.4 yards per carry. Absolutely shut down in the first half and then explodes in the second half and is out. But also beyond the big run, also started to get loose for a few more of those typical Travion runs of like, oh, there's a hole. There he goes. That's that's 11 kind of stuff. Was this a good game for Travion? Like what, what did you feel like you learned about Travion Henderson this game? Welcome to college football, <laughs> you know, real college football. I mean, I, I prefaced it in my question. I don't think Travion Henderson has ever had to work this hard to get yards. He was a walking first down in high school. And then for the first couple of weeks here, he's been a walking first down. This is Penn State has always done this against Ohio State running back. So this is not new, but this is we keep talking about we want to see Ohio State against Georgia, the best offense in the country against the best defense. Well, if he gets 150 plus yards, this is what it's going to have to look like. It's not going to be the first couple of times he touches it. He goes for 15 and 16 and nine and a 25 yarder. No, it's going to have to be over time and he's going to have to weigh on a defensive line and on a defensive front seven. And over time, he's going to it's eventually going to break loose. And that's what we saw this week. Eventually it broke loose and had we had another quarter. He'd have kept going and going and going, but he got loose as the game goes on. That's what a workhorse running back is. I'm going to be curious to see how Ohio State's offensive line responds to this performance. though, because last year in state college, Ohio State's offensive line controlled that game. Like yep. they completely neutralized those NFL defensive ends and they were the you know, battering ram behind which Master Teague just churned away all those yards in the second half and put that game away. And eventually, I think Ohio State wore Penn State down in this one, but there was a long stretch of this game that Penn State's defensive line was what was controlling this game. We know Ryan Day doesn't want to kick short field goals. The idea that Noah Ruggles wound up kicking field goals of 23, 25, and 26 yards in addition to his 35-yarder, absolutely shocking. Right. That, that, that is not what Ryan Day wants to do. And yet they were forced into those situations to that's three field goals with the ball inside the tent. Right. That is that is that is not the plan for them. And it's one of those again. And again, you have to anticipate it. It is not a it wasn't by accident that that happened. But if Ohio State turns two more of those field goals into touchdowns, give them another eight points and it's 41-24 instead of 33-24, that gets closer, right, to maybe what we all thought, that it gets a little closer um, to almost covering in a point. Again, the Penn State, the betting line wound up at, what was it, 19 and a half by kickoff? The yeah. Rutgers betting line for Penn, uh, Rutgers Ohio State was 15. We live in a world where the betting line for this game Penn State was getting four and a half more points than Rutgers got against Ohio State, which just is, again, that was a terrible line. Well, but, Rutgers beat Illinois today, which Penn State couldn't true. do. But also it is it is indicative. The thing that I was right about in the pregame is, in the pregame show is that like what happened against Iowa and Illinois was not the Penn State that was going to play in Ohio Stadium. Now, you could argue what's the real Penn State. I don't know if maybe Penn State's going to go lose two more games and finish six and six. And we can argue about who the real Penn State is. Kind of doesn't matter who the real Penn State is. It matters who the Penn State is that plays Ohio State. This was the Penn State that was going to play Ohio State. This game had nothing to do with Illinois. It had nothing to do with Iowa. This was not a completely unexpected Penn State. So the idea, again, that it's only a nine-point win when they're favored by 19 and a half. We did a post-game video, Nathan, discussing is this a good win or a bad win? I think if you think it's a bad win, A, it's like Penn State had the ball down six with seven minutes left. 
game-winning touchdown drive is there for the taking. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. But if you're mostly basing it off the betting line, it was a bit of a weird betting line, even though we all picked Ohio State to cover. I just, I hope not too many people walk away with an idea that Ohio State struggled to beat a bad team. Because I actually think Penn State's pretty good. And I think we've made a case with Dotson, with Parker Washington, with at least half of Sean Clifford, and with a lot of this defense, that this is a pretty good opponent. I could see uh, fans being disappointed in this game. I do think it's I think it's fair to say that this game proves that there really is only one team in the country right now that is just locked in and owning it, and that's Georgia. Like they went on the road today at Florida and just completely shut them down. And Florida, I think, is a modestly talented, pretty good team. So there, I don't. I think this game proved that maybe Ohio State is not at that tier yet. But I don't think it interrupts the potential that they still can be on a trajectory that gets them to where they could get on a field with floor, with Georgia and beat them. The, the thing that I wrote after the game was the idea of like, man, would if it would have been such a disappointment if this had happened and sort of prevented Ohio State from getting that opportunity, right? Someday a two-loss team is going to get in the playoff. I don't think it's this year. So if like, hey, if, if Penn State would have driven for that go-ahead score with seven minutes left, and it's like, man, I still think if Ohio State would have lost, I still would have thought Ohio State's offense is the best offense to try to take on Georgia, and then we just would have been in a place where, like, well, we're not ever going to get to see it. So yeah. that's what was on the line here, that Ohio State was going to sort of deny itself the opportunity to test itself at the highest level because this was a very high level. It's not the highest level. But I do think it's it is pretty darn high. I do think, and we'll talk a lot more about Michigan, Michigan State on on uh, Monday Madness. I still think that this could be the toughest game that Ohio State plays before the playoff. I think that's possible, no matter what Penn State's final record winds up being. I do have. I thought that was a good game, Stephen. I thought the Michigan, Michigan State game was a good game for the Big Ten. But I still think across the board, I think Penn State might have more talent. I think if you lined up and said, let's take the 10 best players each from Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State, and you're taking, you know, a bunch of guys from the Penn State back seven, Arnold Ebikidi, Jahan Dotson, Parker Washington, lineman or two, Penn State's got some dudes. I think Penn State's got some dudes. I think – Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I think they're the most talented of the three. But I also just think the way their team is kind of set up, it just, like, might produce the most competitive game. And, I mean, I might change that in a couple of weeks. But it's just their defense is really good, and their offense is just good enough. It's just okay. While Michigan State, they've got a pretty good offense over there. But I don't think they're going to score the way Ohio State scores. Michigan, if they ever decide to just go with JJ and that running game, it's pretty solid. And then they've got some good defensive ends, but I don't think they're going to score the way Ohio State can score. So, and once again, with the Georgia thing, this is Penn State's like the perfect little preview to that of a team who is defense carries it and it kind of flustered Ohio State. So it's seen it now. And how does it, adjust, how does this offense want to adjust to it? One was just the mental mistakes and you just clean that up. But also, let's see how. It keeps growing from this, but then also uh, it's, I, I think this is a positive day for the defense but person. I might be um, alone in that thinking, but I think this is a positive step. 
All right. Last break, we'll come back with like each of us with our big thing that we are curious about regarding the Buckeyes going into the future based off what happened on Saturday night in the Buckeyes 33-24 win next on Buckeye Talk. All right, before we do that, Nathan, Steel Chambers ejected for targeting. Clearly, the targeting rule is an issue. I I think everybody probably agrees that college football is going to reevaluate it in the offseason. You can penalize guys 15 yards. Too many guys are getting kicked out for plays where there wasn't intent. Clearly, Steel Chambers didn't have intent. It was pretty crowny. I mean, it really yeah, was kind of the crown of his helmet. I understand that Clifford was sliding down and you're trying to hit the middle of a player and suddenly it's the top of the player. He really kind of did lead with his head a pretty decent amount, though. The only intent that matters is the intent he had to lower his head. That's the only intent that matters with this rule. It's the only intent that should matter with this rule. The pro- You talked before this week about how Leaders and Legends was a bad um bad branding and it's what led to them having to redo the divisions they targeting was a terrible name to give this rule because it makes it sound like it's about intent and wanting to go hurt someone etc they should have called it sloppy dangerous tackling form again if they'd done that then pride would have kicked in and you'd have some of these dbs and linebackers and defensive players um trying i think maybe it would have solved more of the problem by like shaming them into taking better approaches to the play. But like, I'm sorry, Sean Wade targeting 2019 was the right call. This was the right call tonight. He lowered his head and went for that. Like, what do you want me to say? It's that's what the rule is. It's reached the same point as where basketball was with flagrants, where you got flagrant one and flagrant two, where one is like, okay, he's trying to hurt a guy. And the other one is you just, this is a bad tackle. you got to lift your, you can't, can't go in there with your head down and hit with the crown of your head. And I think that's where, Hey, somebody in the NCAA needs to hire me. I think that's where this rule needs to go to. It just needs to have two levels to it because you can't have the same punishment for one just being a bad form and the other one being you genuinely trying to hurt somebody. That's not the same thing. No, you absolutely can have the same thing because it's not just about whether or not the offensive player is in danger. It's whether the defensive player is in danger by having sloppy, dangerous tackling form. That's the whole point of the rule. It's not just about protecting the offensive player. So I think it's fine to have a severe penalty because they're trying to get the next spine snap out of this game before it happens. It sounds like a Monday madness, man. Shame them into it by calling the penalty sloppy tackling. I wrote that in madness earlier this year. It wasn't my headline thing, but it was in madness earlier this year. Shame. Shame. That's what you call. Yeah, just call it the shame penalty. Shame on number yeah. 22 <laughs> defense. <laughs> so they won't have steel chambers for the first half against Nebraska next week either. Um, He's literally going to miss two full ha- two halves of football. He will. Yeah. Because it was like, it was seven seconds into the second half yeah. of the game. So we sort of were joking in the press box like, man, this is where this defense is, though, that like steel chambers being out for the half of that game and then the first half against Nebraska is actually lost because that's how important he's come become to the linebacking core. As we go, that's going to be a weird Nebraska next week. Uh, Scott Frost get fired. I mean, if Ohio state drops an 80 pointer on Nebraska, that Scott Frost, they might be able to get Scott Frost fired early. Uh, you know, David Bell and George Karloff, this will make the Purdue game a little more interesting the week after, and then they're going to have uh, interesting tests against Michigan state and Michigan. What's something that you are particularly curious about regarding this Ohio State team, Nathan, 
heading into this last month of the regular season based on, on what you saw tonight? I hinted at it before, but I'm, I'm curious how this offensive line responds um, because, and you just mentioned George Kalatis from Purdue. I think he's better than Penn state's edge rushers. You mentioned uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan is better than uh, Penn state's edge rushers. And uh, they had the second guy stepping up today. Um, Ojuro, I can't remember the guy exactly what the guy's name yeah. is. It's one of Ojuro. Like, like that's those guys. Those are going to be bigger challenges than Ohio State's uh, offensive line has faced thus far. And you saw tonight. I thought Penn State did a good job. It wasn't just you know straightforward stuff. It was stunting, and I think they respected Ohio State's offensive line. They knew they're going to have to come out with some wrinkles to try to put pressure on C.J. Stroud. I thought C.J. Stroud handled the. Pre- the resulting pressure actually pretty well. He didn't take a sack tonight, so that says something that that you know they protected him enough, and he was able to you know get out of those situations. But the combination of the pressure they were bringing and how tough it was to get the run game going tonight, I just I think this is going to be a, a game that the offensive line's pride kicks in a little bit, and they want to be better going forward. I also think this just might be the end of this whole rotating in the interior because that might have been part of this. Is you played a good team where they're doing some of this stuff and you're not having gotten to Nui with that offensive line because you want to get Matthew Jones out there, which I understand he's doing the right to play, but you should have earned the right to play in fall camp. You keep those Paris Johnson and Thayer Mumford just need to be out there and they need to get continuity, especially since they're both tackles. Technically, that's stuff like they don't, we, I don't know uh, that that was it. I thought they we also don't know the circumstances. some, well, why, right. Why he was in there. Yeah. We don't know the context for why he was in there in those occasions tonight. Nicholas Petit Frere definitely got beaten away. I hadn't seen before Thayer, but got beat on a play tonight. They were getting beaten on a couple of, they, they ran a couple stunts in a row with Jesse Lucetta, the one defensive end getting free a little bit inside. Um, I, I'm curious about that as well. I, I, I don't really doubt this offensive line. I mean, I, that, that's, I don't think that's it, but it's, I, I will be curious to sort of hear what Ryan day has to say about, what it was exactly. Cause I think we've just seen a lot of examples through the season of them working together to catch blitzers, to maintain twists and stunts, to not get fooled by stuff. And then almost all the time, if you're just trying to beat them one-on-one, they don't get beat. So I'll be very curious to hear the Ohio state evaluation of this. Steven, what's the thing for you? This defensive line is intriguing now because it's healthy and Tyreek Smith looked really good today. Um, I don't know if they're going to play it. I mean, Michigan State's got a pretty decent offensive line. Michigan's is pretty good as well. Um, they got pressure tonight consistently. They got home when they needed to get home. But I think there's still another step they need to take. And that's going to be part of, you know, getting off the field on some of these third downs is can they – they had four tonight. Can they make, you know, five, six or more of those? Can they be a consistent eight, nine tackle for loss type of defensive line? I, I want to see how this grows now that all the pieces are in place. And it looks like Jack and JT continue to grow every week. And there's six deep on the interior. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, the you know, we saw Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison meet up the quarterback. And if they're going to start doing that more often, that's going to be uh, a big jump for this defensive line. I just still am curious about the pass defense. I don't know. I can't – again, Penn State runs the ball so poorly. When their top two receivers are targeted 26 times and have 20 catches for 235, it makes me think, okay, well, what if they were part of an offense that could run the ball at all? Like, would this defense really be in trouble then? Because, again, there were just some soft spots 
mm-hmm. in the pass defense. And is it is that just because Ohio State was sort of willing to give some of that up because they weren't afraid of the run game and they just make them drive and don't get beat over the top and give up that stuff in the middle? Or is it like that was the best they can do and they're just going to give up some of that? And, you know, if, I mean, Cade McNamara threw for 350 plus for Michigan today and they have an actual run game. Like what if, what if Cade McNamara does that and ties it to a Michigan run game? Peyton Thorne, I think, has moments where he's might be better than Sean Clifford. And they have two pretty good receivers at Michigan State. And by the way, they have one of the best running backs in America. What if Michigan State can throw it like that and tie it to a run game? I'm I'm curious because we've seen it. You know, we just saw, we saw Anthony Brown make some throws. We saw Tulsa throw the ball around on these guys. And yes, they've gotten a lot better schematically and they have changed some personnel. But I'm just not 100% sure what I think about the guys in the back end. I don't know exactly what I think about their back seven. I think I know how they're going to play it now, but I just, I don't know exactly what I think of the personnel, Nathan. Like I'm just, are they good? Are they, I mean like Denzel Brooks good, right? He's good. I know Ronnie Hickman's good. Cam Brown had a pick. He's like, he's good, but I just, I feel like I'm not a hundred percent sure about how good they are. And that was one thing tonight that like my mind wasn't eased. You know, I can't chalk up what Jahan Dotson and Parker Washington did and say like, Oh, well, that'll never happen again. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I feel like we say this a lot. Both things can be true. Like, it was a big moment for Cam Brown, especially – it was a big moment for Ohio State and Cam Brown, especially given what's going on throughout his career, that he picked that pass off when he did tonight. But it's also okay to say let's not get too excited about him catching this wounded duck that Sean Clifford threw up when he was about to get crushed in that situation. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I I think you're exactly right. I think that it's what I was saying earlier that the Penn state offense, while it has a couple of guys is really only half an offense. If you're judging it by like playoff standards and there are many, many, many offenses better than it. I don't know if I I think that actually includes Michigan and Michigan state. Both we'll find out for sure, when they actually get on the field with him. I don't think it probably includes anybody that they're going to see in a Big Ten championship game situation. So again, if you're if, if, we're, if we're just making the comparison, looking the Ohio State's defense still has growth that it must accomplish. I still come, I come out of this game thinking this defense still has more to grow to finish off a potential national championship run than the offense does. I think tonight was a anomalous night for this offense against the best defense it has seen since and possibly including Oregon. But I think that this defense still had the, you come out of this game, like which team probably had put more on film that a future opponent's going to be able to exploit. I still think it's the defense. I think I want to see the, the I, I want to see the PFF grade, not necessarily the grades. I just want to see like the stats of who was targeted, how many times or who gave up what, because it's really hard to, to, I agree that I want to see more from the second day. I just don't know who I need to see more from, even yeah, though I have PF, an idea. PFF, not, I mean, it's, it's a zone. If it's a zone and it's just a soft spot in the yeah, middle and, and a lot of it was stuff. So like yeah. who the closest guy was, but you don't know who's actually making the mistake. It just does feel like at times Ohio state, I just don't know that they're great at it yet. I mean, they're still adjusting a little bit. They haven't been doing exactly what they're trying to do defensively now all that long. And it mm-hmm. just does feel like times that they're dropping into zone and standing there in their area, watching the guy five feet away from them 
catch a ball and then be like, oh, I'll tackle that guy now. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's exactly what you're supposed to do there. I think maybe you can make some more plays on the ball. All right. It's a good win. Penn State's good. I, I'll be curious. Listen, the playoff rankings are coming out Tuesday. Ohio State had a chance to thump somebody and make a final statement before the pl- first playoff rankings. Thump I don't a good somebody. Say it again. I said thump a good somebody. Yeah, no, thump a thump a somebody that, that they would have noticed the thumping. I don't think this qualifies as that. This was not a, a, a hello committee look out for us kind of win, but it's a good, I guess it's a good football win. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll be very curious. We'll all be very curious together. What is this going to look like when the rankings come out on Tuesday night? We've said it a million times. You have to watch how Ohio state is compared to Oklahoma, Oregon, and Cincinnati. And it will give you some view of this because like the Michigan state, Michigan stuff and Wisconsin's, I mean, it's all going to, all going to take care of itself. They're going to have a chance to do that. Bottom line, still true. And I think Michigan and Michigan State helped that case today. No way a one-loss Big Ten champ is left out. I don't care what else happens. There's no way. There's no way. There's too many good teams in this conference, and there's no way that's happening. And you can throw every, what if Oregon and Oklahoma and Cincinnati and Alabama? I get it. I'm just, they're just, they're not going to do it because this conference is too good. And in the years where the Big Ten champ has been left out, the conference wasn't like this. So, it's just, it's not, there's going to be a Big Ten team there. And so if Ohio State wins the rest of its games, then it'll be Ohio State. So don't get too twisted up about what you see on Tuesday night. But we'll be back here. We'll be talking about the rankings. We'll have Monday Madness on uh, sometime on Monday. It might not be out in Monday morning, but it should be out at least by early Monday afternoon. And I, th- I know we'll talk more about Michigan, Michigan State game on that one. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.